But this I know with all my heart, his wounds have paid my ransom. Let's see if we're all in the room on the same page. If you believe that, I want you to say amen. Let me finish the verse. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. I can't explain it. That's what the song just said. How do I explain that? I woke up at 3 in the morning last night. Very comfortable bed. Got one of those little pillow topper things on it, right? And I was thinking to myself, why I woke up in that moment, I don't know. 3 in the morning, and I'm thinking to myself, immediately it popped in my mind. Wow, Jesus is hanging in chains right now because my mind went back 2,000 years. I'm in bed at 3 in the morning. At 3 in the morning 2,000 years ago, he's, he's wrapped in chains, and he didn't have to do it, did he? So what we're going to look at just for a few minutes before we do communion is I want you to see how much symbolism is tied with what we know from ancient history to what Jesus did and what we get to do tonight. And I want you to participate with me by just two words, by saying, for me. Let's practice that, for me. One, two, three. For me. I'm going I'm to pull this podium over here, and I want to point you to this verse on the screen, okay? Just read it. Let me pull this over. It's a really obscure verse. And most people read past it without giving it any attention whatsoever. Paul has made a case for the elements of tradition in the Passover. And by the time he gets to verse 7, he makes this argument. Jesus is our Passover, our Passover lamb. So because our Passover lamb has been sacrificed for us, therefore let us celebrate so we don't come in here with mourning we come in here with somberness recognizing what he did for us but we come in here because scripture says to celebrate the feast so we get to do a feast now your definition of a a small cracker and a cup of juice may not be a feast right but the feast is symbolic because Paul's referring to the Passover feast he's speaking specifically about the things that were done for us and you find it in history The things that were done were laid in history, carried over into the time when Jesus was on planet Earth, and now 2,000 years later, we get to look at the symbolism. So for Christ, our Passover has also been sacrificed. Let me give you some of the symbolism to start. In Psalm 16, Psalms talks very specifically, it's a prophetic passage, about Jesus being on the cross. Now, you may not read it that way because you don't find Jesus' name in Psalms, but let me read to you from Psalm 16, and it says this specifically in verse 8. I have set the Lord continually before me because he is my right at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Here's the prophecy part of it. Because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. How is that prophecy? Jesus was not abandoned to hell. The Holy One did not undergo decay. 
because you are at my right hand. So when anyone was at your right hand, they were considered to be your bodyguard. In, in ancient history, when a bodyguard came around a king, they always stood at the king's right side with their shield like this and their sword like this so they could defend the king with their strong arm on the right side of the king. So that's why we find a groom today at a wedding ceremony standing at the right side of the bride because he is their source of protection. So the, the king would find protection with that bodyguard and Jesus says, you, my God, God the Father are at my right hand and you are my source of strength. And because you will not allow your Holy One to undergo decay, my soul is glad and my flesh will rejoice. So what are we told according to the writer in Hebrews? Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Right? The imagery is like, whoa, that makes sense to me. He endured it with joy, and Scripture says in the Old Testament, exactly that's what would happen because of his confidence in God's presence. So let me take you to another passage of prophecy. This one you will see on the screen, Isaiah 53, very ancient text written hundreds of years before Jesus. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Now that's talking about in protest. He did not protest what was being done to him. It says this, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so he did not open his mouth. Let's find the New Testament match for that. Matthew chapter 27, verse 12. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he did not answer. Then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? And he did not answer him with regard to even a single charge. So the governor was quite amazed. This is your part for, for me. He did this See, it's one thing to lack the power to protest. But when you hold the power of the universe in your hand and you can call a legion times 10 of angels in a moment to rescue you, but you don't open up your mouth, he did that for me. He's standing before his accusers Silent. It is love beyond measure, church. Love beyond comprehension. Jesus held his tongue until a declaration needed to be made before his accusers. We've already seen it once, but read it again with that thought in mind. Look with me on the screen at Matthew 26. Jesus said to him, you have said it yourself, nevertheless I tell you hereafter, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. We find ourselves in the aftermath of that. They beat him, and they shape a crown of thorns, and they plunge it into his skull, and they spit on him, and they rip his face by pulling his beard right out. They lacerate his flesh with a cat of nine tails. I won't even go into the detail of that. If you've ever seen The Passion of the Christ, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And even that was gentle compared to what they actually did to him. Be beyond that, they made him carry his own cross and stripped him naked for all the world to see. We've got the image in art history of them putting clothing on him now. 
He was naked. The humiliation of hanging before the world. No clothes on, hanging on a cross, driving spikes through his flesh. They pierce him and he uttered not a word. Here's your second chance to say it. He uttered not a word. Does that not just devastate you? It does me. I think that's why I woke up at three in the morning. Here's, here's the celebrate the feast part. Jesus could endure the cross because Jesus knew what they didn't know. Jesus knew that Sunday was coming. Yeah, well, that's great. It's great, but we can't go there right now. So we don't worship a Jesus still on the cross, right? We, we, he's not there. He, he went into a tomb that Joseph prepared, but that's another story. We'll get to that in two days. We remember this day because of death, but because that death brought us life. So I have a way to help us remember this because that's, that's what Jesus said. When you do this, remember me. Don't you dare forget what I did. And so the church was given this institution of the Lord's Supper, this communion element. Let me point you to a verse, two, two verses that are going to come out of Matthew. I want you to see, or out of Luke. I want you to see the first one. Luke 22 says this in verse 19. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So when Jesus held up the bread, and I've already broken mine, so you can see what, you know, this broken leavened bread. You're about to pick up fragments of one of these broken pieces. When Jesus held up the bread, he held up something similar, thin, like paper thin. Bread that's used in the Passover meal has to be unleavened. It was required in a Jewish Passover that it would be thin, like a cracker, because this is a Passover meal that he's celebrating. And what's unique to a Passover meal is that some things specifically had to be true of the elements that were being used. Not only that it was unleavened, because unleavened bread meant that it was not puffed up. And leavening in the Bible represents sin because sin puffs you up, right? Sin makes you think you're bigger than you are, like you're badder than you are. But unleavened bread, it's flat. It's not puffed up. But to be unleavened bread, they don't only kept the leavening out of it, but that leavened bread had to be striped. So the pieces that you'll pick up tonight will have striping, and no one can tell us when this occurred in history. But it was way before Jesus that when they put the Passover bread in the oven, it was required by the rabbis that it had to be striped or it would be thrown out. And a third thing had to be true. It had to have holes in it. So if I held this up to a flashlight, you could see light right through it right now. It had to be pierced. Jewish scholars today are mystified where that came from in history. But it's an absolute match to Scripture. Let me see, see the match with Isaiah's prophecy with you, and you'll see it in Isaiah 53, 5. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. And Jesus said, this is my body, which is broken for you, when he snapped the unleavened bread, which was pierced through, and without sin, because he who knew no sin became sin, yeah, for me. 
He didn't have any sin, yet he became sin for me. He became pierced for me, and he became beat for me. So he's pierced through for our transgressions, and at the cross that was carried out with the crucifixion with the nails and with the spear driven through his side, yet they didn't break any bones. So look at this. Just let this burn in your mind to see it on the screen. Unleavened meant no sin. Striped the beating that he took. And at the crucifixion, you find that he was pierced. You're going to pick that piece up in just a moment. Don't pick that up lightly because he did that for you. Here's the last element that I want you to see, the symbolism of the cup, the Passover cup that Jesus is referring to. In the Passover, Seder that, that Jewish people still participate in today, and we have much to thank the Jews for, for protecting this tradition and handing it down to us. Let me read to you from Exodus. Exodus chapter 6, and maybe if you don't have something with you to write in right now, you just remember Exodus 6, but you should look this up later this weekend and, and take a look at it yourself. Exodus 6 talks specifically about how we ended up with the Passover cup today that we use in the communion service. Let me read this to you. Verse 6, Say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will, listen to the I wills, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from their bondage, and I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Then I will take you for my people, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. So the first cup, there's four cups in a Passover Seder. We're going to celebrate the third cup tonight. The first cup is the cup of sanctification. When God said, I will bring you out from under the hands of your oppressors. That was the first cup. It's always celebrated. It's still celebrated today. The second cup that's celebrated is the cup of plagues in which God said, I will free you. I will free you from the enslavement and from the bondage that you're under. And here's the third cup. It's the cup of redemption. And that's the one you're going to lift up tonight because when Jesus held up a cup, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. We understand that to be in the Passover meal that Jesus participated in was the third cup, and that is called the cup of redemption. When you find God saying, I will redeem you he is the god who delivers is he not church he's the god who delivers so it's the cup of redemption the fourth cup is just as remarkable i think because jesus said there's a cup i'm not going to drink of until i'm in my kingdom and i will drink it with you you find him saying that in all the gospels you specifically find him saying that in matthew 26 i'm not going to drink of this cup until you join me. Now, how does that relate to the fourth cup? The fourth cup is called the cup of praise. The cup of praise is this, God saying, I will take you as my people, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. And immediately after the fourth cup, they always sang the Jewish Hallel. And the Hallel from Psalms 118 is a praise to God that we belong to him and that we are his people. Why does Jesus say, I will not drink of this cup again until you join me in the kingdom? Because that's when we'll be with him, and we will be his people. We already are if we are believers in Jesus, but that's when we join him, and Jesus said, I will drink that cup with you. So my friends, 
we get to celebrate right now. Because He is our Passover lamb, let us celebrate the feast. So I want to do this with you just by reading from our tradition. If you're new to New Hope, we always read from 1 Corinthians 11. These are the words that were given to us. Paul said given directly from the Lord himself. So let me read 1 Corinthians 11, and then I'm going to invite you to participate in the communion supper. Hear these words. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. See, you're about to be witnesses. You're going to witness to each other. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I believe in his death, and I believe in his resurrection, that he's coming again. That's what Scripture says. You drink the cup, and you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So strong warning, verse 27, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he has to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Uh, Traditionally here at New Hope, I tell you just to sit and ponder that for a minute, examine yourself, and then come up to the table when you're ready. Michael's actually gonna give you specific instructions about when to come up. Because there's so many of us here, I'm gonna ask you that when you do get ready to come up, would you do the center aisle thing, either come to the tables in the front or in the back or upstairs, and someone will be there to say to you very simply, the body and the blood the body and the blood, just to remind you of what you're picking up, okay? Let me pray with you right now. Father, I I pray for these who have gathered in this moment that they will have the wisdom to examine themselves and to not take this lightly, but to remember what we're entering into. Thank you for the power of the symbolism you've given us and the reminders tonight of what we're participating in. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.